Hello and welcome to the Govern This podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. In this episode, I welcome back Andrew Reeve and we talk about elections from campaign start to elected government. They're not dumb questions. They're just, I'm just ignorant about it. I haven't learned anything yet. Okay, so we've had a bit of a crazy election this month here in BC. And even as I record this, it's still all up in the air. But by the time it probably reaches you, um, we'll probably know what the outcome is. Nonetheless, the scenarios that Andrew and I talk about in the last half of this chat, uh, which are kind of all based around some hypothetical outcomes of this election, um, they're all still really interesting to learn about and understand, regardless of which one has or has not occurred um, because of this election. It's just, just plain enlightening to know what potential there is in our system and how it all works. Also, in, in the first half, we cover some great info on what happens at the legislature once government is dissolved, meaning like once the campaigns start, basically. Um, also, what goes on around and during the campaigns and what happens on election day, as well as a few nuggets here and there about how, how elections BC works. I had Andrew on a couple episodes ago, uh, episode number five, when he was the campaign manager for one of the candidates during this election, and I learned a ton from him then. It uh, really opened my my mind to a bunch of things. And in this conversation, I must say I felt quite the same. One thing it is important for me to point out here is that during this chat, Andrew is speaking as a private citizen. And all his thoughts are and opinions are his own. So regardless of when you listen to this, and regardless of what has happened in this historical BC election, I hope you find my chat here with Andrew Reeve insightful and enjoyable. Uh, welcome back, Andrew, to the Governor's Podcast. I'm glad to have you here again. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so it's been a bit of a crazy month for you, huh? A- absolutely, and, and it's and it's still not over. <laughs> <laughs> so if, for anyone listening who maybe skipped the intro or whatever, um, I had Andrew Reeve on a few episodes ago, and he was the campaign manager for the Liberal candidate in Esquimalt Chosen. And we have had the election now, and it's up in the air, it seems, right? Um, but I wanted to have you back and talk about, talk about what happens before the election, during the campaign, like the day of the election, and also what happens after the election, and currently what's happening in BC with our election right now, and the kind of crazy time, historic time, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, so one thing you mentioned last time, you kept saying when, well, maybe you just said it once, I don't know, but it stuck in my mind. Is when the writs dropped, 
what the hell is the writ and when it's dropped? And you said you were out of a job then because <laughs> you worked at the legislature. So can you explain that and what happens when? Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll go back in time a little bit. Yes. We'll we'll get to the uh, current craziness that's going on with the election later. That'll be our big sexy hook. Yeah. People have to sit through our educational <laughs> beginning of the podcast uh, like to that. get to what's going on uh, in contemporary politics. Nice. So, yeah, flashback to April 11th. That's when the writ is dropped. And that comes from an old, uh, you know, our, our system comes from the UK, from the Westminster parliamentary system. Okay. And the tradition there is uh, to call an election, whether it's a general election or if it's an election for um, just, you know, one seat because someone retired or anything like that. The uh, the governor general, or or in, in the UK case, uh, the queen, the monarchy, okay. has to uh, draw up a writ, uh, which is just a piece of paper, basically a, a royal proclamation. So this type is like thing. a British term. Yes, word. yes. Okay. Except except the term itself <clears throat> is 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 draw up the writ because it's, oh. it's it's a it's a piece of paper that has to be drawn up, right? It has to be written and signed, and and then that makes it. That, that basically is the beginning of an election. The official. Okay. Over time, draw up has been reduced to drop, right? <laughs> it's just one of those kind of colloquialisms where rather than draw up the writ, it's drop the writ. Is it just because we want to be more dramatic or I, I don't, I don't know. I don't Canadians? know how it ended up getting to that point because they say drop the writ in the UK now as well. Uh, and some people that are strict to grammar people say it, it makes no sense and they'll stick by it. But modern parlance and... In any political textbook or, or anything, you, it will be referred to as dropping the writ or drop, writ gets dropped. Then. It, it's always drop now. I, I don't know how it got to that point. <laughs> but yeah, it went from draw up to drop. So it okay. just means in, in our Canadian context or in our provincial BC context, uh, the premier, Premier Christy Clark, goes to the lieutenant governor and, and at the end of the term, because you know, we, we have fixed election dates in British Columbia now. So we knew, you know, three years ago, that four years ago, that the election was going to be May 9th, 2017. We right. knew that ahead of time. So the premier went 28 days ahead of time and uh, to the lieutenant governor and uh, parliament was dissolved and, and asked for uh, them to drop the writ. The writ was dropped. It's, it's, it's really just a, it's a formality. The right, lieutenant okay. governor doesn't so say no. So it's basically just saying like, this is the official thing of starting. Yes. Yes. Um, it starts you, an election. Can you just jump back for a sec? I covered this in the first couple episodes, but can you just, if anyone's just jumping into this episode, Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant, Jesus Christ. It, it <laughs> and, depends, depends on which country you're in, right? Oh. Uh, in, in the United States, the, whether it's, you know, the military rank or anything like that, it's pronounced Lieutenant. But in, in Canada and the United Kingdom, it's pronounced lieutenant. Spelled, oh. spelled exactly the same. Uh, it's just, it's just a, one of those differences between uh, Canada okay. and the U.S. So that person is, what's that office again? Just to... Uh, it is, so in Canada, we, we divide our responsibility between head of state and head of government. Uh, in this case, the uh, head of government is the, the prime minister. Right. Or at the provincial level, the premier. Uh, and then the head of state is uh, the, the monarchy. In the UK, it's the queen. It's, it's, right. it's the crown. Uh, and because we are still somewhat tied to the UK, but we are a sovereign country, we have, uh, well, the, you can get into a debate about sovereignty. But <laughs> Oh, I want to talk about <laughs> that's that a long, one That's day. a long that's thing. A, yeah. uh, 
we we do have a representative of the queen, which at the federal level is the governor general. Oh, okay, right. At this, the provincial right. level, it's the lieutenant governor. Right, okay. And their job is to be the representative of the crown, when which dates back to when there was a lot more British influence here. But nowadays, it's much more of a symbolic role. So... So I thought we called him the lieutenant governor. It's, le- it's lieutenant governor. It's lieutenant. I mean, you can call but him lieutenant governor. You do can most say people that. say that? Like, like just because we live in a in an American dominated society, we tend to say oh, lieutenant for the rank and whatnot. But it's it's formally lieutenant lieutenant governor. Hmm. But so it's no just, one it's no one people... would get you in trouble. I, I mean, there are people that call it lieutenant even in government because it's just that's that's what everyone knows. Yeah, mean, and there's no F like... and there's no F in the in the word in the spelling. So people are like, why would we call it lieutenant? But it's <laughs> okay. It's, it's, in Canada, it's the military rank is lieutenant, or it's lieutenant general, lieutenant governor. Okay. So, huh. <laughs> so we just like to just change shit. <laughs> no, the Americans like to change shit. We're, we like we're to keeping with them. the we're keeping with the Ameri- with the British the British way of doing things, which is lieutenant. But then all of us Greens, not the party, just the people who don't know anything, tend to just follow the states because that's what's in our era half the time. That's what you know. You turn on any American you know military yeah. show or watch Band of Brothers, and it's it's you know Lieutenant Winders and stuff like that. So it's you'll, you'll hear Lieutenant 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 your whole life growing up. It's hard to then find out that it's Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, wow i just feel like oh we gotta break away <laughs> okay so they drop the writ i i, I kind of like the the visual of it like it's like just being thrown down like it's time boom <laughs> so what happens it, it is it is a large stack of papers so is it so because i believe i believe they have to drop or technically drop a writ for every writing so, and, you know, oh. imagine that, you know, in BC 87 and in federal government, the, when the governor general drops the writ, that should be 338 pieces of paper. That can make a bit of a thud on the table. So, yeah, See, there's, your, there's your dramatic. to drop because they're <laughs> like, oh, man, let's just. <laughs> just imagine Christy Clark just slamming it down and dust flying up. <laughs> All right. Um, so then you were working at the legislature and then you said. I don't have a job. And that's why the campaign kind of manager thing came up. And so why, what happens that's, with people working there and the, the ministers, right? Like that's. Well, um, so at the legislature, you have, you have civil servants who work there that are the, that are the bureaucrats. They, they still work there throughout an election. That's uh, people like administrative assistants in the ministries, people that aren't politically appointed and, or, or that don't serve a, uh, partisan slash political role. Okay, so they don't just lock the doors and everyone takes a month off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't comment on what the administrative assistants do during this, but uh, it's not a very productive time uh, because, because there's no, no one's one, coming up to them saying, "Can you do this? Do that?" Yes, and there's no one to take or you know to take orders from. Right? It's just right. It's, okay. you're you're the it's a caretaker government of sorts that you make sure everything, you know, the clocks, the clocks run and things are going smoothly and correspondence get pa- gets passed to who needs to see it and whatnot. But right. that's, that's really the extent of it. So there's, there's no big decisions being made, uh, during, during the writ period, unless there's like serious, uh, serious issues popping up. Yeah. That's one thing I was wondering about because back to that. while when, once parliament is dissolved, there are no MLAs anymore. So, right? so they don't... parliament is dissolved when the writ is dropped. Yes. So that means that all the, the MLAs that were elected and all 
and then their second jobs or whatever being um, a, a minister of, of a certain area or whatever thing. <laughs> um, they don't have that job anymore either, right? They technically do. This this is this is an interesting quirk. That they just don't go they, to work. They stop. They, yes, they, they, they don't go to work. They stop being an MLA, but they actually don't stop technically being the minister because they're the minister until they get replaced because we can't just not have a minister exactly like like right now uh, yes yes okay we'll save that we'll save that well i just no i, I no? We won't get into right now but i just wanted to say that it, it's important because you need somebody to actually make a decision if that one really needs to get made like say minister of emergency preparedness there are okay. floods going on in Kelowna right now yes you need to unfortunately that minister actually lost the election so we don't actually have a minister of emergency preparedness right now yeah that's but crazy in in that in that sort of case you need people even though they're not MLAs because of all the election goings on, you still need people being able to be the highest authority on on issues if, if it's really important, right? Right, yeah. Is it good to... No, because we'll go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, let's save that. We'll get back. Okay. So, so uh, Parliament is dissolved. Yeah. So, you just... Do you... Do they... Do you basically lose your job? Like, is it... It's just done and you don't know if you're getting it back? So it depends. Some people, uh, like myself, I had a contract that ended the day the rick gets dropped. Other people are forced uh, to those that are working in the ministry. I was working in the whips office, and that job it has to do only with like legislation, like dealing with the legislative process and and stuff going on in the house. So I'm not needed at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it, it's easy to just end my contract once the rick gets dropped. People that are political staffers to the ministries, which, as we just said, still have to function. Right. Uh, they 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 all are forced to take administrative leave and for the for the entire period of the writ. They can't step foot on the legislature. They can't access their they like they can't do any political uh, any government functions while they're doing it. But they do have a job to go back to once once the election is over because their leave is over. So they're back at the legislature right now. So they're more hired by like quote unquote a nonpartisan part of our government kind of thing. No, no, those those <coughs> folks are, are are partisan appointed. They they oh. are they are appointed uh, for for political purposes, uh, like say advising ministers on on less. You know, there's there's bureaucrats that'll come and advise them on a lot of policy options, and then there will be you know their ministerial assistants who will advise them on uh, perhaps more of the political repercussions. That's something that a a civil servant could never do. They they will they will only put it out. You know, these are the numbers, here are the facts, but they won't they won't ever say. But this might be very unpopular or something like that. That's not the job of a civil servant to advise on issues of of politics. It's their job to advise on issues of policy. Okay, so the, so they could work for whichever government is comes in. The, the civil servants could, yes. Okay. The political staffers, like ministerial assistants, uh, no, they're they're often they're they're appointed by from from party lines. So if if we had a change in government this election, they're all they'll they'll all be fired because they the NDP won't want liberal political staffers. Right. Okay, working so the, for them, <laughs> so the po- political staffers like that, they're. Like your job was done because of the contract. Yeah. But the political staffers, they're basically put on leave or whatever. Yeah, they all go they, just like me. They go and work on campaigns during the during the yeah. right period and then they come back. But they don't know if they're coming back to a job that's, or not. That's true. Like if, if, if the NDP had won government, they wouldn't have had a job to come back to. Hmm. Correct. <laughs> that, 
Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's not four, a stable four years field to or, go into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like if you like change every four years or possible change. Okay, so so you don't have a job? Not no. I'm a, I'm a, I'm on your show as a private citizen. I, I don't have a job at the moment, and and we we won't know for for another little while until uh. Well, I mean, we'll get to all the recounts and stuff going on and yeah. the finalization of the vote tallies, but. Uh, Yes, right now, right now, I'm a, I'm a private citizen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so just before we move on to the election thing, um, yeah, so those ministers that they were MLAs, they're not MLAs anymore. But if something comes up in those ministries, they're the ones that they go to still. Correct. Okay, so that that's pretty much all that happens during the election for the legislature. Basically, there's not there's not a lot going on there right okay. now. It's just like it's like a kind of caretaker government, making sure nothing goes wrong, but no big decisions are being made on on any important matters. It's keeping the trains running on time. Okay, so then there's the campaign thing, and I think probably talked about that quite a bit in the last little bit. One thing that I find interesting is all of the advanced voting. Mm-hmm. That. I don't know how I feel about that because then then it has all this. It's like, oh, well, they're ahead, they're gonna win, and then, then people are starting to think certain ways. Because wh- why do we have so much advanced voting? Is it just because there's a lot of people and it's just easier? Well, they're like, why not call this, it this like is, election week then? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because I we've elections Canada or elections BC in, in our case here uh, over the past few elections have been. You know, it is it is their duty to you know main, keep the elections fair and balanced and and you know make sure that's all done in a nonpartisan way. But mm-hmm. part of their mandate is to get people to vote, which is why if if you listen to the radio over the past month, you'll have heard not just uh, ads by the candidates and campaigns, but also ads from Elections BC telling people about the importance to vote. They had, I think, Trevor Linden from the Vancouver Canucks doing a bunch of them, trying to get some star power, yeah. saying how important it is to vote. Because as you saw in our election, we had, what was it, 60, maybe 60% turnout, which means 40, okay? which is higher than it was last time, uh, which means 40% of, you know, four out of every 10 people that you know didn't vote. That's right? pretty bad. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's not great. So their part of their mandate is to get more and more people to vote. And they have undertaken simply because one of the big obstacles to, or one of the things that puts people off of voting is just, you know, you don't want to sit in line for two and a half Mm -hmm. hours at your polling place on election day. Technically you're allowed to take, I think it's three hours off of work to go and vote uh, legally, but a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people might not be, might not be comfortable asking their boss who might be a bit of a jerk to do that. They don't want to, that's just kind of a pain. So when you're so Elections Canada has taken it upon itself to offer more and more advanced voting days over the years, some on weekends, some on weekdays, just making sure that people don't have that as an excuse to not vote. So that that's that's great. You know, we're all about en- encouraging more people to vote. But what we saw this election is while while there was higher turnout, there wasn't a drastically higher turnout and you have to think you know i'm not making an argument either for one side or the other on this i i really haven't seen the numbers it's not something i've studied closely but i have seen some people saying we spent a lot of money 
having extra polling day because each day is an election essentially right yeah. we are holding you know you were paying people to run the ballots boxes you're paying people to super like you're paying uh, for rentals of, of spaces and church basements and uh, all the polling places a lot of money goes into making sure that there are these advanced voting days and what we're seeing while we might have seen slightly higher turnout i don't know if you can directly say that was because of the advanced turnout because we had we had huge amounts uh, here, here in Esquimalt, uh, we were, I think, in the top. We were in the top three in the province for really? uh, voter turnout numbers and voter turnout percentage. Hmm. Uh, it was huge, and yet voter turnout compared to last time wasn't wasn't a huge change. What we're seeing from that is that people that do vote that vote every time, they're just it's just more convenient for them. Like, Oh, I don't have to vote on voting day. They would have voted on voting day, but since you said, well, they can right. vote on that and then on the Saturday beforehand, like, Oh, I'm going to be out with my niece and I might as well go and vote for, you know, it's, it's not as big of a lineup. I'll get that done then. So it's so, hard to actually say that more people are voting. It's just the same people are voting just at their own convenience now. Like, Oh, great. I can vote on Saturday the week before. That's great. I'll get that done. Right. Well, and then I heard about the uh, mail-in ballots. Yep. It's like, well, if you're having that, then don't do you don't do we well, really need the other days? That's that's a that's a big one. But but also that's like, why we're in this state of limbo at the moment. Absentee ballots. There's, so okay, so that's one thing I was going to ask. Like, what are absentee ballots? Is that the mail-in ones? Uh, yeah, yeah. These these are there's 176 thousand absentee ballots across the province right now that have not been counted. Right now, that's, and we're a week later. Yeah. That they they will get counted starting on May twenty second between between May twenty second and May twenty fourth. That's when they have to finalize. That's when they results. start counting them. Yes. Oh, so they're not they're, they're not, not like counting, counting them right. as they're coming no. in or something. They're just they're they're we're doing work them. with them. But this is this is why it takes so long because say you uh, you know you you live here in Esquimalt with chosen, but uh, do you have family anywhere else in the province? Yeah, on the mainland. Okay, so yeah. say you're you're uh, visiting them. And you're like, oh, well, there's I'm, I'm not going to be back in Victoria oh. on Election Day, but I'm not going to be at the advanced polling. So you can request a mail on ballot in Vancouver while you're while you're in Vancouver or while you're in the Okanagan or while you're in Prince George. And then it's it's a write in ballot. So it's not it doesn't have all the names of the candidates printed out on it because it's not an official ballot from from your writing. You write in the name of the candidate that you want to cast your vote for. They then seal that in a certi- certification envelope. Is that so that there can't be a mistake with like, yeah, which one? It's like just what it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's 176,000 of these across the province. You know, whether it's somebody that was in uh, Kelowna while they were visiting family or something, or they were there on work and they still want to cast their vote for, you know, Courtney Comox, they they can do that, and those ballots from all across the province then need to be shipped to you know where where they where they belong and be like okay well that doesn't take that doesn't take two weeks to do right but here here's here's the part that makes it take so damn long (laughs) because you voted say you know two weeks ahead of time uh by by mail and ballot yeah there's no way to actually check that you there there's no check that says to the people at the polling station now or, or on election day that you've already voted. So technically, you if if you I mean it, you won't get away with it, but you can mail in your ballot casting a vote. Say you're in Victoria Beacon Hill, 
mailing and about for Carol James two weeks ahead of time. And then you can then show up at the polling place if you're in Victoria that day. And then you're still on the voters list. You can then walk in and then cast a ballot. Okay. So they first have to check if that mail-in Yes, vote that's what they're that doing absentee. right now. That's before before they're counting the ballots on between the 22nd and the 24th. They have to basically manually go through and take the people who have their, you know, their voter ID number and make sure that none of them have already cast a ballot that's in one of those certification envelopes. They just have to, right now they're making sure that that person only has one ballot. It's, exactly. It's it's head. a vote it won't be it won't be a big issue. It won't be widespread voter fraud, but it right. is something that has to be done cuz I'm sure it probably happened a, a few times across the province probably not maliciously just you know maybe maybe uh, an older person forgot that they did a mail-in ballot well, and they walked in it's 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 not it's not a it's not a way to get away with voter fraud or anything like well, that no, it's but usually if, just a mistake what what if someone was like <laughs> i was like what what if you you mail in your ballot early right yeah and then you're like you know the the campaign's going along and you're like oh you know what i changed my mind and then you're like if i go in that'll cancel out my ballot like, mm-hmm. there's so it seems like there's so many <laughs> and that okay so you said it was for people who can't get to their riding right yeah i know a guy who was like i just didn't want to stand in line so i ordered that's one fine he's entitled and, to do and that he did that and yeah. then i know another guy and i think this is a absentee ballot as well is that he went to a different polling station i don't know if he knew or not it was just closer and he was like screw this i'm going to the one that's close yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to go to the other one. And so they made him do an absentee yeah, they ballot. Can, they can accommodate that. Yeah. Yeah. You can well, vote I, anywhere. Because <laughs> you don't want to make it more difficult for yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. That's that selections VC's mandate, not yeah. to make it hard. They want to get everybody voting. And if, yeah. if that's a barrier between him voting and not voting is travel time, then they'll accommodate that. Yeah. Okay. So that's what absentee ballots are. And that's why it's taking time to get to them. Exactly. And, and, that's, and there's a lot of them, right? There's 176,000 of them. Uh, we don't expect them to change the uh results of a lot of writings or anything like that but there's there's a chance that it changes the equation on some of the really tight races at the Mm -hmm. moment there's there's about five in the province that are that are are fairly tight there's two particularly that have already been uh selected for a recount, there's Courtney yes. Comox, where there's a difference of nine votes, and yeah. that will definitely change as a result of the absentee ballots. It still might have the NDP candidate slightly ahead, but even if the uh, so once the absentee ballots are counted, and they're still within a hundred votes of each other, which is likely, like absentee ballots don't have a history of changing election results; they tend right. to be fairly reflective of the amount of people. I think in Courtney Comox, it might actually swing towards the liberal because he was the former base commander of of the base up in Comox and military personnel are the largest absentee voters because they're, you know, they're deployed. Like if they're in Afghanistan, then they, they vote absentee ballot, right? Right. They're still entitled to vote. So I think we'll see because a lot of military folks that are deployed elsewhere, casting their absentee ballots, not, not that they're, not that he's entitled to their vote, but he was was a loved commander of the base. I think he'll see a lot of support from those folks, which might actually swing it in in favor of the BC Liberals in that riding. Right. If it's still within a hundred votes, there will still be a recount, though. So now they'll now we'll have the absentee ballots added, but all the all the votes that were actually counted on May 9th, 
that will still have to go through the recount because <laughs> of human error. There's this yeah. often thing like there's an, the other, um, I forget what the other, the, the Vancouver writing where Sam Sullivan is, is the MLA. He, there's going to be a recount there because one of the, uh, one of the polls had written down the total of 404 votes and then the other, and then there was a mistake on something that said there was only 399 votes in there. That was enough. I mean, it's five votes. That's not going to change the results. But still, it's like, well, but what it's else still an election irregularity due to mm-hmm. human error, and that is enough for uh, it, a candidate. In this case, I believe it was the Independent, or maybe it was the Green, uh, who then asked Elections BC for for an official recount of of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So when it comes to Election Day, and everyone's going to the polls, and it was crazy. Like people listening should just go at. Like I went at 11 o'clock in the morning and there was two other people in the gymnasium voting. Like it was, it took me like two seconds. So take the time off and go then. Yeah. Like it's, let's even it out a bit, right? Like don't wait till your lunchtime. They give you time, take it. Like it's, mm-hmm. um, so later on I was watching it and I was like, I don't know how to follow this. <laughs> <laughs> there's little boxes and there's, the people's names of the writings come up and then there's check marks. So when do you know what's happening with what? Is well, that a possible question to answer? It, that it, sense? It's a, a lot of it comes down to how the, how the media chooses to cover the okay. election. Uh, you can watch it on elections BC. They, it's not a, it's not interesting to watch on elections BC's website, but you can go there and you can look they, at, they don't have all the commentary kind of thing they, like that. There's no commentary. The, there's no f- nice graphics or anything like that. Okay. It's not a nice sort of running cycle between writings. You just have to go and click on each writing separately, and you can check the exact vote counts and exactly how many polls have been counted. The media, they choose to they, – they get that information from the same source, but they make it look nice. And then at a certain point, they, they forecast or they make their predictions, and they, they call – certain races so okay before elections bc would never do that they 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 will only call it you know a a few days from now on march 24th but at the end of the night once all the polls are counted that's that'll be the final number posted on elections bc until until they go and add those absentee ballots and take into consideration any of the recounts what the media does and this is radio cfax or it's it's the television program ctv or cbc and check they put it up. They got their, you know, each candidate has their color. Right. And when it starts to look like one candidate has has a significant lead, and then they, they do the math and they say, well, okay, there's still 20 polls to be counted, but there are 4,000, 5,000 ahead. And the ones that are counted are traditionally strong in areas for that candidate's party. We're pretty confident that this person, they've got it. Right. Well, well before the numbers are actually in, they then you know put the check mark next to their name and say, uh, you know, our CBC is is calling that uh, Courtney Comox is going for the NDP or something like that. So the check mark is them predicting that, and they are they're usually they're pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah they, okay. they there's I don't I don't know of any famous cases at least recently where they where they they've been oh no we called it earlier and then we really but, screwed that up. <laughs> yeah, well if they did that. No one would trust them anymore. Yeah. So and, and they do they that. Gotta... They do that for government as well. Like in the right. last federal election, they 
polls, I don't think, had even closed here in BC when CBC had already predicted a, a liberal majority government because polls had closed in, in, in the East Coast and Newfoundland and, and it was just sort of polls closing across the country as each time zone hits eight o'clock and then the right. polls start getting counted. So we often have the situation here in BC where people are still voting, whereas the rest of the country's already decided who won the election, mm. which... <laughs> So we knew, like we knew, we knew there was going to be a liberal majority before, before. Because polls. no matter what happened, it wouldn't catch There's up. There's just not enough votes. Yeah. That they can see that, you know, the liberals solidly won the, the won the maritime, they solidly won on, like it's, you just watch that wave of red coming across the country in 2015. And you're like, okay, this is pretty obvious. Then Peter Mansbridge comes on and says, CBC can confidently predict, uh, we're going to forecast that there's going to be a liberal majority government. Think people didn't bother voting then? That, I mean, that, that does have, <laughs> there actually, there used to be. There used to be a rule against it that the media was was forbidden to talk about those you know exit polls or anything like that before polls had closed in British Columbia, and that worked in a time without before cell the internet and before internet. Yeah, yeah. When, it, when, it, when it was easy to have a for there to be a control on the flow of information. That's pretty simple to yeah. just say, okay, well the media will not report on what's going on on the other side of the country. You're forbidden here. But nowadays, seems, anybody can just tweet it. <laughs> yeah, because so it seems no that that would definitely affect what someone's going to vote or yep. what, or if they will. And then that affects, you know, well, they got the popular vote of this or they got um, only this many people voted. It's like, well, that, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Thankfully, so, British Columbia, you know, the provinces are, are you know, one time zone. So you don't have yeah, that happening exactly, in provincial yeah. elections. But yeah. it's certainly a case of Western alienation uh, at the federal level. We just yeah. don't, we don't, we don't feel like we matter as much, but that, that's, that's a longstanding story in Canadian politics about Western alienation. So we won't get into that today. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I keep hearing we're the wild west, but that's the donations thing, isn't it? Oh, people will throw that at anything. It's just, it's just a nice thing. You know, we're wild west or, or the west coast or left coast or the there's, there's coast. all sorts of great west puns. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. So that's pretty much how you follow the election thing. Um, so really don't really pay attention much until you see the check mark. Well, I mean, it depends. We on don't what know how many votes are in yet. Exactly. There, there will be, you know, you'll be able to look at one and say, well, wow, the, the greens are way ahead in that riding, but that might be only two polls have been counted. And that could be totally different by the time that, you know, the rest of the polls come. Cause you have t- lots of polls per, per riding. Like I think right. Squire and Chosen had. 80 it's it's usually around that around that number there's there's a great deal of polls so no we had 63 but there's others have 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 more than that Mm -hmm. so you can't you can't forecast an election result when you have five polls in that's not representative especially say you have a you have a riding that has an urban and rural split and you get maybe maybe 10 polls in from from rural from uh, rural polls that then the greater population in the urban side totally dwarfs that. And it doesn't really matter that perhaps there's a cultural difference on, on who people are voting for in, in either right. way. It doesn't say which polls come in, does it? Uh, not, not, not on the coverage. It'll only tell you how many have been counted. It'll only say like 12 out of 80 or something so that'd be like kind that. Of interesting. Uh, campaigns generally have that information. That's, we have people on the ground uh, at each poll or, or each polling station at least, mm-hmm. and keeping an eye on, on the counting of the polls. And then they, they 
can report that back to us. So they can say, well, well, we can only look at elections we see and say, you know, 12 polls have been counted. We know which of our people on the ground have said, okay, well, they just counted poll 21 and 22 at this polling station. And, you know, the results were in favor of this candidate or whatnot. So and do you they, post that somewhere or is oh, it no, like later on? That there's no, not really. It's never point in, There's not any point in posting that. You'll, you, you can look at it, I guess, from elections BCs late, later on. It's later all on. public information, I believe. Because you guys would use that for next election, right? Yeah. Yeah. For where to campaign and all that kind of thing. Yeah, you can you'll you'll be able to know how many how many people voted uh, for your candidate or your party in in each polling uh, in each poll, mm-hmm. and that is that is used for uh, yeah campaign strategy in the future where you look at okay well we did really strong in this poll we should really look you know push hard on getting our vote out in that poll because that's one of our best polls and spend maybe more time door knocking in that one and it whereas some people might say well you know d- depending on how how what kind of campaign you're running, you you might stay closer to your good polls and really want to focus on those. Right. Other people might be focusing on a real outreach because their candidate is, is different. Like, oh, the last candidate had had strength in this area because, say, they were on the board of the Neighborhood Association there. Uh, but then the candidate this year doesn't have that. So maybe they did better in those polls for personal reasons rather than party reasons. You have to take all that into consideration okay. on where you want to spend your time. Did you find that with Barb? Uh, she was the, yeah. she's the mayor of Esquimalt. Exactly, so you find that you find that where she had where Esquimalt is not traditionally a liberal territory, but there were people that were saying, you know, I've never voted liberal in my life, but I voted for Barb three times for mayor, and I'm and I'm going to do it again. So yeah, it, the candidate changes the game, and you have to be you have to pay attention to that. Hmm, that's that's quite the uh, strategic game. Like you really because it's not just a obvious choice of where to go i'm guessing Mm -hmm. yeah ground ground game is is the most in my opinion the most important part it's all about knocking on doors it's you can you can get carried away some people do get carried away with uh with the what's so-called air war uh which is the campaigns on tv and campaigns on social media Uh, a lot some people can get really sidetracked with that because they think it's super important and it gets them a lot of exposure while that is true to some extent people are more likely to have their minds made up by a personal conversation on the door, whether it be with a candidate or just with a very passionate volunteer who mm-hmm. is able to explain to them, you know, a certain policy or why the candidate is very passionate about running that, that makes a difference in the end. It, it's a lot of, although this election, I would argue we saw a lot of people simply voting on party lines, which is interesting because there were candidates, not, not just my candidate, but uh, quite a few candidates that were not incumbents who had high name recognition and okay. we didn't see a lot of change in the vote on, in the way that the vote split on the end uh, oh. as a result of them uh, simply because there, there's, there's a, there's common thinking that if you've got name recognition, you're, you're going to do better. Cause a lot of people go, Oh, well, I know that person. I like that person. Right. You know, we had the liberals had a few uh, former newscasters running. They had Jas Joe Hall who, who narrowly got in. Uh, and then Steve Darling, who who didn't get in, okay. and and you would think that somebody that used to be you know Steve Darling, a lot of people know him. He was on on the news for years. Um, we didn't see a lot of change there, and and hmm. so there might there might be a change in in our culture that we haven't quite picked up on that things are getting more polarized and people are it becoming more American, where it's like you know you you grew up 
and that's this is the way you vote and, and you're an NDP here and maybe less people that as identifying as independents that can swing either way and, and choose who, who they want to. At so, least the people voting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what to, to really say on that because that, yeah. that would be it, it would be really unfortunate if we're getting to that same kind of polarized state where people just have their tribe and, and they stick to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's all sorts of issues with thinking that way, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. Okay. So just, just look at Trump supporters and the fact that they're that today on, on May 17th, they're, they're still sticking with the, uh, with a, a man who clearly should have been impeached. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've, we've covered pretty much. Oh, one thing I was going to ask is, did you notice at your campaign office, people coming in and asking questions. Like I, I always wonder, cause we had um, Chris Maxwell's beside where I work and I'd see people come in every once in a while. Like, is that a place where people ask questions? Uh, yeah, it- absolutely. It, it, it often depends on uh, where, where the campaign office is located. If you get a lot of foot traffic by it, then, yeah. then you do tend to get a lot more people walking in and asking questions, uh, which is great. Sometimes people are thinking it's a place to vote and you have to correct them. You're like, no, I'm sorry. Oh, really? you, can't, you can't vote here. Uh, there'd be so many problems with that. Uh, you, you can't vote at a campaign office. You can vote. We just have one name on the ballot, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're happy to tell you where you can vote and, and get you any information that you need. So, uh, so yeah, you, you get a lot of walk-ins depending on where your office is for sure. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, okay. So let's jump to what happens after an election is, is like a government comes into power. Let's just say that Someone won our election. So, and let's go with how... Decisively. There was yes, decisive decisively. Victory. Okay. Yeah. And I know that there's some um, MLAs that didn't win their seat back and they were ministers of something. Mm-hmm. So, things have to change in government now. Yeah. So, what happens? So, let's... Scenario number one, we have an incumbent victory. So, say the liberals won you know, a majority again. There would there would not be as much change. It's it's the government basically continues because all the political staff are back and their things are getting. Well. Then they have to swear in all the MLAs, and it doesn't matter if you were a former MLA or not. Because as I said, once once Parliament has been dissolved, you're you're nobody. You're just you're a candidate. Right. You're a private citizen running on behalf of a party. So they all have to get sworn back in, and okay. you know to do the pledge and and whatnot. And then uh, cabinet has to be sworn in as well, and that that's up to the premier and and her inner staff to decide who's going to fill which portfolio, uh, who's in charge of which ministries, uh, and what they do there is you know mo- most of the former ministers they'll they'll get their positions back or or they might get shuffled around to different ministries. A lot of the considerations that go into who is in cabinet are regional. So it's not always who is the who is the best person for this job. Sometimes it is well we didn't we didn't have anybody. So take Vancouver Island. If the Liberals are back in, and we only have if right now before the recount, we only have one MLA. Right, that's Michelle Stillwell. She's currently okay. a minister. She'll likely be a minister again because she would be the only minister on Vancouver Island. If if okay. we if she were snubbed, then Vancouver Island not only would it have only one Liberal MLA, it would have it would have no minister, it would have no sort of senior official in government that that could hypothetically speak for the region. Okay, because 
regional representation uh, is 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 key because you want to be able to have uh, a seat at the cabinet table for regions of the province, right? It's not always, well, you're a doctor, so you should be, you know, you used to be a doctor, you should be the minister of health, right? right. I mean, they they're, they're, a lot of that does go into consideration for specific cabinet roles, but when you're actually choosing who will fill out your cabinet, re- regional representation is, is key because you don't want to alienate certain areas because then that's, it tends to be quite obvious if a government snubs a region. Right. Okay. <laughs> so how long does it take to get everything kind of set up after? Uh, that, that would depend. Most governments, especially one that's uh, new, often want to hit the ground running and, and get things done as mm-hmm. fast as possible. If it's, if it's a government that is not, that wasn't formerly. So if they say the NDP had won, there is a transition period and they need to get, you know, up to date and they have to get all the, their briefings and, and, you know, this is the state of the finances and, and all that, all the stuff that needs to be provided to the government that's coming from the civil servants. They're getting, getting the people that are going to come in and take the jobs up to date on all of the issues. So, you know, say things like, you know, emergency preparedness, their situation going on in Kelowna. Had the NDP one who they're looking at to take over that uh, ministry, that portfolio, would be taking meetings with those civil servants and they're going to be briefing them uh, every day on the situation uh, in uh, in Kelowna with the flooding. Right. So, so it like you said, they want to hit the ground running, but like, is that a couple of days? Like, how long does it take to, to like, is it it's, two it's weeks entirely that, dependent? It's, really? <laughs> it, it, it really depends on, on, on what, on who wins or whatever. Yeah. On who wins yeah. and, and what the situation is. Uh, if, if the liberals won again, there might not be as much eagerness to just hit the ground running as much. It's just, okay, business as usual. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get people sworn. And that, that happens pretty quickly. Uh, once, once the votes are final, so it can't happen until after the 24th. Uh, but once that's taken place, then that things will start to fall, fall into place pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so let's talk about our current situation with the election here in uh, BC. All right. I'm to the fun part. Yeah. I'm learning that there's a, a lot more versions of government with the different parties than I thought there was. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, and we should kind of jump in. To clarify right at the beginning, this is something that the, the media has has failed to clarify that uh, we don't have a minority government situation. Right. That's not that's not true until after a confidence vote has passed the House. Uh, right now, we have what is called a hung parliament. Okay. There is no party capable of governing on their own. So. With with the current with the current votes. so let's let's just talk about if nothing changes before okay. like I I've, I've put my prediction out there that I that I think Courtney Comox will swing our way once the absentee ballots okay. are counted because of all the all the military personnel. Okay, first off, like in, in case people haven't been lit following the election, because um, there are actually strangely people outside of yep. Canada listening to this, which is really strange. Oh, written. Yeah, right? I didn't know you had such uh, international reach. It was a I cosmopolitan didn't, I didn't uh, know podcast. Very weird. But so, what what are we right now with our like? Who's got what right now? Uh, the Liberals have forty three seats. Okay. The NDP have forty one. 
mm-hmm. and the Greens have three. Okay. And for a majority government, government, which means that party is the party in power, you, you need... technically need 44. You would really like 45. Okay. And we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. So, so that's how it stands right now. And that's why we're waiting for the other ballots because it could still change. Yeah. Okay. So go with Comox or whatever you're saying. Um, oh, what was I saying? <laughs> um, you think that it could, they oh, could yeah. swing. I, 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 I believe that will swing to, uh, to put the liberals up to 44. So it'll be 42, uh, sorry, 44 liberal, 40 NEP and three green. That's if Courtney Comox swings our way, which is just my personal prediction as a pundit. And I'm currently a private citizen. So that is, that is my personal opinion. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but right now, let's just talk about what would happen right now if if that didn't happen. If if things stayed as they are, okay. which is the probably the more interesting scenario from a political nerd perspective. Well, I, I think it's really interesting just that this can happen. Like, I just didn't know. I just thought, well, someone wins. and then it's easy then they're in charge right it's well it that that's what happens uh if you if you have a two-party system right right? that always you always you always have one per even if it's by one percent of winning then they they still win right right um when you get into situations where there are more parties like bc has historically been a two basically a two-party system between the NDP and the liberals because the conservative party is is nothing uh and the greens were not that well organized in the past mm-hmm. how long have the greens been around uh they've they've been around for a while they've only really been relevant uh since 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 the last election since 2013 when andrew mm-hmm. weaver uh i mean I, I i guess you could argue they were relevant a little bit before because the jane stirk was in the in the leaders debate uh and so she was she was another voice on that stage okay uh, against premier clark and uh and adrian dix who was leader of the ndp at the time and john cummins who was the leader of the bc conservatives who they actually tried a lot harder in that election they had a leader and they had they were running a lot more candidates in 2013 so the conservatives now just kind of said eh. the conservatives <laughs> ran 10 candidates out of 87 seats uh in in the past election they they they, they and they had a leader and then they they fired their leader Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, it's a it's a party in disarray. They they are largely irrelevant in BC politics. We saw in this past election that m- several of the people running as conservative candidates in uh, in the province actually had ties to the NDP, which was interesting. In that it was clear that the NDP had or. You know, once again, I'm a private citizen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was clear that the NDP had uh, gotten people that were that that were at least aligned to the NDP to run as conservatives in order to split the vote in certain ridings. It sounds a little shady. It is a little shady. Uh, no, and it's not true for it all of them. Tricky. It's just. It's like. It's like you're in a wolf's costume. It, it is. Yeah, you had people with ties to the NDP running as conservatives in places where the NDP didn't have much of a shot at defeating the liberals unless there were some people, you know, conservatives that vote BC liberal because it's a coalition between federal liberals and federal conservatives uh, going, well, I'm a conservative and that's who I'm going to vote for. Also, of course, taking advantage 
of the fact that not everyone knows that there's a difference between federal liberals and provincial liberals. Yeah, there are, there's a lot of conservatives that'll go, well, I hate Trudeau, so I'm going to vote BC conservative. Not really right. thinking that you know Premier Clark and the BC liberals uh, have no formal connection to the federal liberals, and and that it, it is indeed a coalition party that both federal conservatives and federal liberals support. Right. Yeah, that was news to me last time we talked. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Okay. So, right now, you're thinking that they're going to swing. And if things don't change. If things don't change, it gets very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the liberals need 44 seats for a majority, right? Yeah. Um, if they only have 43, you have essentially the NDP with 41 plus the Greens which have who have three mm-hmm. that equals 44 if they work together they can run uh, a coalition government so a coalition is where uh, one party needs the help of another or in in certain european cases several smaller parties in order to form government okay it gets really interesting when you look at countries that have multiple parties with multiple uh, representatives where you know a party of two and a party of three and a party of four have to come together to help a party of, you know, 70 or something actually pass that threshold. So then you have five or six parties often in, in, in these weird coalitions in certain hmm. European parliaments that gets crazy. And there's a lot of negotiating that gets I involved. Uh, here we're only talking about a party, a coalition of two. Uh, so there's a couple ways that the greens can go about the, the greens and they don't have to go with the NDP. They, they, in this situation, they become the kingmakers. So one question before you go down this road, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, why, why do the Greens have the power? Why wouldn't it be like, okay, 43, 41, so those two got the most votes, they're working together. Like, why does a three <laughs> Techn- get have power? Right. Like, uh, <laughs> it seems like the NDP are just like, but we got more. <laughs> te- yeah. <laughs> I, I guess in, in some world, that could be possible you could uh, there could i mean it won't happen in ever <laughs> with to see the, the liberals <laughs> and the ndp working together especially in in this province where it has been a two-party system for a long time uh that's that's like saying that the you know the democrats and republicans are going to come together and, and run government together. right but just number wise yes okay, i get the party thing but number wise how does it how does a party with three have power right like, wouldn't it just, like how are i just because okay it's cool so right now <laughs> let's let's go let's go into what has to happen if if things stay the same the lieutenant governor and and all gets always asks the party that was government if they can form government that is that is the right of the previous government so even if the liberals had failed miserably and got say 25 seats in the ndp won in a landslide they Lieutenant Governor would still go to Premier Clark and say, "You can you can form a government," and the Premier has to say, "Well, I can't. Like, there's no, I I can't. There's no other party that I can't." You say we got twenty five seats. I, even if if she even if she could hypothetically work with the Greens, that doesn't put her anywhere close to being able to govern. It has to go. It has to go to the NDP. So, so it's kind of like like when you're playing a game and you won. So the next round you get start. You get to go first, basically. Kind of, yeah. So it's Even just like if, a courtesy yeah. thing of like, hey, yeah, that's is there just a way the way you can pull the this off. Work? Yeah. So that's where it would go. 
she would go to the greens. She because she doesn't want to work with her. Okay, she's. I'll let so, you go. <laughs> but th- that that was that was only situation where the liberals you know lost, and then they they would not be able to form government, and then she would then go to the second, or in this case, the largest party, which would be the NDP in this hypothetical situation, and the lieutenant governor would would ask them to form government. John Horgan would you know, go and visit and say, "Yes, I can form a government." The House would convene. And uh, he would become premier of the province. Okay, and that's that hypothetical. That's that was a hypothetical. <laughs> if 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 the NDP had more seats, but it, right. I was just using it to yeah. demonstrate the fact that it, it always goes to the incumbent government as a chance. That's just the way that the institution works. Okay, it gives them the opportunity to work with other parties to carry on and continue government as it was. Okay, so what will happen is this: this is why the Greens have the power because the. Liberals get asked to form government first. Okay. So either the liberals find a way to get work with the Greens. Yeah. Or the liberals will then get asked to form. And and this is where it becomes a minority government. If the liberals can't form a coalition with the Greens, which I don't. I don't. I don't think the Greens will form a coalition with anyone. Okay. Let's yeah. Let's go into that. A coalition would be a formal written out agreement between two parties that sees both of them governing like equally not not or? equally but say you know the there's so many cabinet positions if if the liberals had a coalition with the greens the greens would have members that were ministers so okay. say the minister of environment which is likely would be a green okay so say andrew weaver would be the minister of environment or maybe he would get made deputy pre uh, premier i don't know where that would go but people though those greens who only have three who have no shot at forming government can work with the liberals in a coalition government and that means they are actually seated at the cabinet table they are privy to all the cabinet private cabinet meetings and this and the 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 privacy and the confidential information that cabinet receives about things the greens are included which is being a minister you have to that's how you get included yeah Okay, so I'm I'm going to guess now. So a coalition is the other party. They're they're given a ministry or, or two minority. or three. It, it it doesn't. It's not necessarily just one. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll let you tell it because I okay. think I got it now. But. All right. So if if they can't come to like a formal coalition agreement, then they don't get to work with the green the the liberals then get their chance to form government which they can because they are a minority they still have the most amount of seats right let's not forget yeah. they still have the highest numbers on their side they only get trumped if the greens and the ndp they had to team use up. that eh? <laughs> <laughs> so it was good so they will then call the house together and they need they need the confidence of the house to move forward. That's often on a budget bill, right? So the government will try to pass a budget bill, and it is up to the Greens once again. This is why they have so much power in the situation. They can, despite not being in a coalition, they can say, "Okay, we we agree with stuff in this budget. Congratulations, we're going to vote. We're going to support this." Or the NDP, which will definitely not vote for the budget because they're going to be contrarian in their opposition. They'll have 41 votes against the budget and 43 for the budget, and it's up to those three greens which way 
big an aside. And once again, so we're, we're talking about a minority government right here. Yeah, this right? is a minority okay. government so, where it could it could literally fall at any moment. This is the this is the oddity of our parliamentary politics that 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 is actually considered a regular form of government that it just often involves a lot of compromise. So rather because if if government falls, you either have the other party being offered government or an election is called. Okay. So we could tech if this was the situation, we could technically see another election in the next few months. Like <laughs> hmm. Uh, that that that's the that's the danger of minority governments. It stops being predictable. Like we have our set fixed election dates every four years. A minority government can fall if confidence in the house moves either way. So this that situation allows the Greens to negotiate with the Liberals and say, "Look, we're not going to form a coalition with you, but we'll prop you up as we'll allow you to govern. We will right. support your budget bill uh, for for things that you're going to give us." So this is. Uh, the negotiating that's that is going on right now, not necessarily for a coalition government, because um, me, and once again, as a private citizen, uh, coalition governments are are not good for the smaller party in in modern politics. There was a time when when politics was more civil and the discourse was better that it was within the realm of possibility. Meaning, but, what do you mean by that? That there was a that nowadays because of the way politics you know the twenty four hour twenty four seven news cycle oh, okay. and and a a low information voter base for or at least some people as as we can see down south where you know thirty five percent of people still are strong Trump supporters mm-hmm. who who you know they can look at a piece of media and go well that's fake news despite the fact that it's wholly based in reality and properly sourced and all that okay. uh, that nowadays. And, and and I'll use an example for this. Uh, the previous UK government uh, was a coalition government between the Liberal Democrats, which were the centrist but traditionally centre-left party, okay. and the Tories, which are the Conservative Party in the UK. Okay. They, they formed a coalition government together uh, because they, the Lib Dems, the Liberal Democrats, had enough seats to ensure that the conservatives, while they had a minority government and a, and a decent, it wasn't a, it wasn't a difference of a few votes. It was it was a big minority government, okay. uh, but the Lib Dems had f- maybe sixty seats. Maybe 50. there's 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 over six hundred seats in the UK House, so it's it's different numbers. Okay, but they they had enough of about sixty seats or maybe fifty eight to put the Tories in a majority government situation that that would mean a stable government for four years but a coalition government nonetheless. What we saw there was everything good that the government uh, accomplished, credit went to the largest party, the Tories, and mm. include, including things that Liberal Democrat supporters thought were good. So things that they wanted to happen, the Lib Dems didn't get full credit because they were just the junior partner. And then, so then everything bad that happened that they didn't like, well, Lib Dem supporters were mad at their own party for allowing that to happen. So there, there, it was kind of in, in this culture, in this political climate, it's kind of a lose-lose situation where you, you don't get any of the good credit for the good stuff and you get all, all, the, all the bad credit for hmm. anything bad that happens. And we saw them 
drop from around 60 seats in the previous election, which put them in a position of power and, and allowed them. They had a referendum on electoral reform because that was a big thing they wanted. Uh, it failed, unfortunately, for the Lib Dems, but they, that was what they wanted. They wanted the people to have a say and the people chose otherwise. Uh, but what was interesting in the most recent election, they dropped down to eight seats. Eight? Yeah. 60? So they went from 60 to eight and are all but irrelevant in, in British politics. <laughs> they had no power. They had no say. Their MLAs were, were just, just background noise. Because the two, they, they were bit there, and they weren't even the third largest party. Because they they went from being the party that formed coalition and were government, right? Yeah. The, the junior partner in a government, to being behind. It was the Tories. You had Labour. Uh, UKIP had no, no. I guess UKIP had less seats than them. But uh, Scottish National Party, which is a, uh, a party that was elected only from the seats in Scotland, uh, and it was all about Scottish independence. Mm-hmm. They got more seats than a, a wholly national party that had seats in, you know, Northern Ireland and Scotland. And, and Jeez. yeah, uh, they had more seats than than the Lib Dems, who were the centrist party. So they went, they became nothing, and that was because they decided to join in a coalition where it's just a lose lose situation. So I don't think Andrew Weaver, and I've I've known Andrew Weaver. Full disclosure, I've known Andrew Weaver for years. Uh, I consider him a friend. He I believe he considers me a friend. Like we get along, we go yeah. for coffee. Uh, I also know Adam Olson, who's one of the Green MLAs. Uh, he and I also go for coffee. Right. Uh, I I don't see them going for the coalition option simply because they're looking around and not seeing any any positives. Sure, they get a seat at the table in the ministry, and that's that's really good for the years that you get to govern, and, and there's, there's nothing better than that. But if they're looking ahead to the next election, I don't see them, especially if it involves dealing with the liberals, I don't see them looking and seeing a positive outcome. So, so I guess what you're saying is that if they were a coalition, people would point at them and and say that whatever bad happened, you were part of that. Yeah. How could you let that happen? Yeah. But if you're, if it's a minority government, and that's just saying, we'll we'll let you govern if you give us something, and then we'll leave you alone, unless you screw up. And that's and that's the key, and that's what we need to talk about here. It's what do the Greens want? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, and once again, this can be, they can be having this and, and they are, they're having this conversation with both the liberals and the new Democrats right now, because if we get the chance to form a minority government and the vote comes and the NDP have offered them something really good, then they're not going to support us in that bill. We, our minority government will fall almost immediately. So that's where they come to the liberals. They come to Christy Clark and say, can you form government? And she's like, Andrew and he's like not going to help you and she's like I can't. Is that how that works? And well, then no, they have she'll, to go to she'll get the ch- she'll get she'll get the chance if she wants to. If, she, if they say because you can have a working minority government, she can have the chance to go there and then parliament will reconvene and she'll still be premier and but then they'll try that- to and then they'll well we might not know which way the greens are going to go. That's they could be playing this close to the chest. Oh. And then when it comes to it, if we haven't given them what they want us to give them, then suddenly we have a situation where okay, the NDP caved because they really want power and they really want to win so they'll compromise on on anything i mean they're they're going to be more desperate right they they will give them almost anything <laughs> probably hmm. to win and then 
then they'll then Horgan becomes premier, right? And and then we have a situation where that happens. <laughs> or there's an election. Once again, that 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 comes down to the lieutenant governor. <laughs> huh. Okay. So it's even more sketchy then. <laughs> yeah. So so let's let's look at what what Weaver wants, right? Okay. The Greens are in a situation where they had one MLA. Now they have two more. They have three MLAs, and they are the kingmakers. And once again, this is only in the 43-41-3 situation that we're that were the numbers that we're looking at right now. If Courtney Comox swings liberal, this whole this whole conversation is moved. Yeah. almost. But we'll <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. So yeah. the Greens, uh, there's a few big things that they want. I think number one is going to be electoral reform because that benefits them more than anything. Right. They got 16, maybe 17% of the vote across the province, and they only have three seats. Mm-hmm. 17% of 87 seats is not three. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, th- so it is not represented. There, there are more people of the population voting green than seats we have. So that's, Greens, that's what we call the popular vote compared to yeah. our voting system, I guess. Exactly. Our- so the Greens would want some sort of proportional representation, which guarantees if that if the next election that we have is under a proportional representation system, you can be guaranteed that there's going to be a lot more greens in the house. Because yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. So that that's their biggest thing. That's 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 them looking at their their future. And if they can get something like that through, through either the Liberals or the NDP, that should be enough to keep their supporters happy. They will probably be able to compromise on a lot more things. And, and, and this is where it's interesting because people say that the Greens have a lot more in common with the NDP because they're on, on the left side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. The Greens, especially the federal Greens, but the provincial Greens under, we, under Weaver have been a fairly centrist option, right. uh, differing, differing themselves from the federal Greens. They've been far more central. Uh, so still makes it so confusing and they use the same name like it's <laughs> yeah yeah but people go and look at the platforms and there there's a lot more overlap between the green platform and the NDP platform in this last election than the greens have with the liberals okay that's because the greens made up made a deliberate effort to undercut the NDP they 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 took their platform and went left with it in order to to steal away votes from the NDP Interestingly enough, huh. what we saw in this election was a lot of the green victories actually were at the expense of liberals. It was a lot of liberal voters who, you know, probably have more fiscally conservative uh, views on on the finances uh, and balanced budgets, but perhaps were disillusioned with the premier or just some of the negative stories coming out about the BC liberals, and 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 could never vote NDP. But we're willing to budge and, and move to the center and vote for the Greens uh, as either a protest vote or, or perhaps their beliefs had actually just swung enough that they, they considered themselves Green voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, we saw them picking off. Yes, NDP supporters went Green, but a lot of Liberals did too. And that, and that helped them because being in the center, they can pull from either direction. Right. So people that are assuming because the party went left platform-wise – I don't know if the party base is entirely left wing, like like people hmm. like to say it is. And Weaver himself, it uh, seems like all, a very strategic. It it move. is. Well, it's all it's all strategy, right? Uh, yeah. Weaver himself was 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 good friends with Gordon Campbell, the former Liberal Premier, 
so and and I believe even considered running for the BC Liberals back back when Campbell was premier. Huh. So to say that they uh, the NDP and Greens are natural bedfellows is incorrect. And and the really interesting thing is just take a look at this last election. You and I talked about this last time. Yeah. The vitriol between the Greens and the NDP, and it was true in the last federal election, but it was even more true in this provincial election, was nasty. The the NDP were so worried that the Greens were eating into their vote and yeah. they were going to cost them their chance. And, I mean, they, they did. <laughs> yeah. They cost them their chance at forming government they they were brutal on social media they had some of their uh union donors run uh run third-party advertising campaigns scaring people into not voting green there there was one on the radio that i heard almost every single day paid for by unifor a big ndp donor that was that was all about uh, you know a mother and her daughter and the mom saying, "Well, I don't like the premier, and I'm deciding I think I'm going to vote green." And then and then the daughter goes, "Oh, mom, did you know that the the Greens and Andrew Weaver supported uh, the BC Liberal budget, uh, and it, which included you know some cuts to the education system?" Like, and then she's oh, like, man. "Oh, well, how that's... how dare they? I guess my mind's made up. I'm voting for John Horgan and the NDP for a better future." Oh, that disgusts me. I, and I and and it was in the final two weeks of the campaign saw that there were NDP signs they printed up stickers for green supporters that would vote NDP so they could put an NDP sign on their lawn, and then there was a green sticker on it that said "Green for Green for Horgan" or "Green for NDP." So that way they didn't actually have to say that like, oh, I'm not supporting the NDP, but I'm a green, but I don't want the premier to win. I don't want, I don't like the BC Liberals. So put a green sticker on my, and, and those were popping up on, on people that were voting green. Well, I'm going to vote NDP to keep the liberals out. So, and Hmm. once again, strategic voting, there's nothing wrong about that. That's people are entitled to vote how they will. But I don't think when, when they're, they're saying, well, obviously the NDP and the greens are going to work together because there's so, so many similarities. Well, Maybe on paper there are on on policies and when you compare platforms, but politics is personal. Let's let's not forget that these are human beings that are being elected and human beings running and making decisions. And when you spent weeks trashing them on the radio, telling people a vote for them is a wasted vote. And if you don't vote NDP, you're wasting your vote and you're electing, uh, you're reelecting the liberals. And then now you have to, oh, and then on election night, Horgan chooses to make his his election night speech a minute after after Weaver started his and all the media were forced to cut off Andrew Weaver and go to go listen to Horgan's speech. <sighs> and then they have to go and say, well, hey, do you guys want to work together? I don't <laughs> I don't know if you can only look at the piece of paper and say, well, there's a lot more crossover between the Greens and the NDP. Yeah. Well, the liberals didn't spend the whole election trashing the Greens. Telling yeah. us, telling them that their votes were wasted, telling them that, you know, like really, really vicious, vicious stuff on social media between NDP and Green supporters. It got brutal. And now you're asking those people like, hey, we're all friends now, right? Because we don't like the liberals, that we're all besties now, because I don't know if there's enough common ground after basically a, a, a brutal air war between between the two parties that they, they want to work together after it got nasty and personal. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that I don't like that part of it. Seems I don't know. So, okay, so things are up in the air. Diversions of government are minority and coalition, basically, right? If it's not a majority, yeah, right? or another election, <laughs> or another election, and 
Okay, yes. So so with the minority government, so if it was a coalition, that's four years they go and they do their Possibly. thing. Possibly. Coalitions and, do fall apart often. They, they, okay. I mean, the, the most recent one in the UK did go the full years, and that surprised a lot of people. Okay. People didn't expect them to work so well together over those four years. But minority, it's that's where they make the deal with they give them something that they're happy with and but if they don't follow through with that then weaver would be like oh well you messed up so screw you i'm going to vote against you and then that's when things fall apart yeah i okay. mean we saw that uh in 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 canada at the federal level when the when the conservatives won their won their minority and the liberals and the ndp didn't work together in order to to ever stop that the liberals voted with the conservatives on a few things and 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 that was very interesting and then before that you had you had the conservatives and the ndp the only reason that the harper ever came to power which all often tends to get overlooked is because jack layton and the ndp forced an election hmm. and so never underestimate the power of a smaller third party there especially in in tight situations like this so if we have this minority government and the greens say they do choose to work with the liberals in exchange for something like electoral reform, which I'm not saying the liberals will go for. That's going to be a, that's going to be a tough one. It is not wildly popular uh, in the party. I don't think to go for that, but if it does mean the difference between governing and not, we'll, we'll have to see how the, how the chips fall on that. I'm Hmm. not at the negotiating table, (laughs) (laughs) but you can go for coffee with them. (laughs) Get it inside scoop here. (laughs) Okay. So, Let's say the uh, liberals get a majority government with 44. Yeah. That's still not super stable though, right? Yes, especially because, and and I said I'd get back to this because you want 45, is when you're the government, you you have to find somebody to sit in the speaker's chair, right? The speaker of the house, who is essentially the referee slash moderator and, and representative of all the decorum and whatnot in the legislature is almost always a member of the governing party because you want somebody that's going to side with you. So they, you know, when there's heckling and stuff in the house, they, they're the one that kind of lay down the law and they, you know, not, not that they should, but they tend to let the government get away with, you know, a little more heckling than the NDP would in this case. That that's just the way it always goes. And, but it means one of your seats is gone now. So if even oh. if the liberals get Courtney Comox, so then it's 44 to 40 to three liberals then have to sacrifice one of theirs unless they can convince the green. I would love to see Adam Wilson as a speaker. If they could convince Adam uh, as a green to be the speaker, I think that would be great. I think mm-hmm. he'd be fantastic at the job, but then, and, and it would be nice because it would be somebody more neutral. Like he'd be right. in the middle and he would be just, he'd be fair for against the liberals and the NDP. Right. Right. Uh, but <laughs> That's probably not going to happen because the Greens won one. They want to have three votes, right? Not, not oh, that it's okay, amazing. Right, it would but take him out of the vote. If, yeah. yeah, it takes him out. The Speaker does get to cast a vote, but only if it's a tie. Mm-hmm. So what you then have is the Liberals sacrificing one of their, or not sacrificing, but one of our seats goes away and becomes the Speaker. So now you have 43 Liberals, 40 NDP, and three Greens. So now it's, it's an exact tie between those in government and those not in government. Okay. So any vote would have to have literally everybody there. And then the speaker who's a liberal will have to cast the tie breaking vote every single vote, which is going to be exhausting. 
<laughs> but the, the, these are votes on like anything, right? On like anything. bills and stuff yeah. like that. Like yeah. Just ministry, like um, mm-hmm. finance is the big one though, right? And the transportation. Budget's a big one. Budget's often viewed as the confidence vote. Uh, but the, any any motions or anything that comes up uh, to a vote, it, it will be very tight. And that means, and it'll force, it'll be very interesting. Uh, everyone is going to have to be in the chamber from the government side for every vote. So no more uh, people being given leave to go do things or a minister has to make an announcement. Well, too bad. We're in session. What if, what if the NDP call a vote and you're not in the house, then we lose. Right. Hmm. So it'll, it'll be a razor thin ability to get anything done. And they can't get in accidents and go to the hospital. Well, like that, well, that's the interesting thing, right? <laughs> it's like right? what you mentioned before in the UK, how yeah. they lost. They bust the guy in from the, from the hospital and he yeah. voted from his ambulance outside the doors of the, of the parliament. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 that, that makes things awkward because then you have no contingency for anything ever going wrong. Like there's a lot of older MLAs, you know, Ralph Sultan passed out in the house in the last session what? and had to be taken to hospital. So yeah, must get he was okay. There. But if that happens again, then there goes any, then there goes any winning of any vote or someone has to go have surgery or someone's not feeling well. And of course people don't go like, Oh, well that's too bad. Well, let's wait until they're ready. It's like, no, let's do it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ruthless. I tell you. Yeah. Ruthless. So no matter what happens, this is crazy. Yes. Like, it's just crazy what's happening it's here. It's going, we, we live in interesting times. That's for sure. <laughs> so glad I got into this this year. <laughs> well, I mean, I wish I didn't wait this long, but. Um, okay, so is there anything else to say about that? that um, uh, we covered the speaker. We covered what the the Greens are interested in. Yeah, electoral farm is the big one for them, but there's there's a few others. I mean, the environment's huge for them. And well, the donation thing was, seemed like a massive corporate and union donations. This that's an also a, mm-hmm. a big thing. And as I said in the last podcast, the liberals are open to looking at reforming that system, right. and that and the opposition allowed that to die in the house for political reasons. That's that. I don't think that will be the thing that sways it. I, in either either be way, because the, the liberals way. the liberals indicated being in favor of looking at uh, electoral finance reform. So the Greens coming and saying, well, this is a make it or break it issue for us. That won't really be a contentious issue on the table. I think both the NDP and the Liberals are going to will will be willing to to uh, move forward on that promise, uh, probably in different ways, but at least move forward on 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 how we can go from there. Right. Okay. Electoral reform will probably be a big one. And and. It, and it might not be policy. Now, here's here's we'll go back to that recent uh, example in the UK, where both it, it was it's very similar, but also not quite because the party that had the minority that had, that had the most seats in the house was not the party that formed government, uh, or sorry, oh. was not the was not the party that formed government previously. So, well, in this case, that's what we have. We had the Liberals who were government, and now. They have more seats than anybody else, but it's more of a hung parliament minority situation. Right. What the UK had was Labour, who were who were the party in power that was under uh, Gordon Brown, Prime Minister Gordon Brown. The Labour Party lost a great deal of votes, and suddenly they were they weren't even close to forming government. 
Gordon Brown was still the prime minister and he was trying to negotiate with them, with the Lib Dems, who this is a situation where labor is analogous to the NDP uh, because they were, they were, they're a party on the left side of the spectrum. Okay. uh, And they, they were, and the Lib Dems are analogous to the Greens because they're a center party, but kind of lean to the left a little bit. Analogous? Uh, analogous, like uh, comparable to. Oh, okay. Like, like one can make an analogy. Gotcha. Uh, you can, so in this case, the the Greens, like the Lib Dems, uh, they had a lot more in common and, and sort of traditional relationship with the left side of the spectrum. So everyone just assumed that the Lib Dems could go with uh, labor and then give them a minority government. What Gordon Brown did was he was he was really fighting, but he he was not a popular leader at that point. And he and and what during the course of the negotiations and there's a there's actually a great movie about this if you ever want to watch it called Coalition and it's all about the process of building a coalition in that in that UK election um, in 2011 I believe the election was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the Liberal Democrat leader, Nick Clegg, who in this case would be Andrew Weaver and the Greens, actually convinced him. And, and this, it's, once again, <laughs> I'm speaking com- as a private citizen. <laughs> uh, he, rather than, he, electoral reform was a big one for him as well, because the Lib Dems never had as many seats as as proportion of the population actually voted for them. Right. Uh, he wanted wanted a referendum and he got that through the Tories. The Tories who were wildly against electoral reform were willing to, in order, in order to have a stable majority government and that ensured them staying in power for four years and getting all the stuff that the Tories wanted to get done. They were willing to compromise on saying, okay, well, we'll have, we'll hold a referendum on electoral reform. And right. they gave that to the Lib Dems. But well, while the Lib Dems were negotiating, they, they told labor who were the party in power that, they could never make a co. They they couldn't get it past their members to um, ever be in a coalition or supporting a government with Prime Minister Gordon Brown. They they his brand his brand wasn't strong. People didn't view him as as uh, rightfully Prime Minister because he'd lost he'd lost a ton of seats in that election. And, and, and this is the guy who is saying we'll do a referendum. Uh, he or, he said it as well. Like both both sides were okay with a referendum. They they were both willing to work with the Lib Dems on this. Okay. But what the Lib Dems did, they they said, look, we we could if we did work with you, which were you know, we, there's a lot of crossover here. We could we could not work with a Prime Minister Gordon Brown. So they essentially, at the power of this small third party, they took down a Prime Minister. They said oh. so. He before before they even had a deal on the table, Gordon Brown came out and said, "It's I, I this will I will not be running for re-election, and I've asked my party to hold a leadership contest to replace me because they Damn. wanted to stay in power, and the, they took the so these Lib Dems forced a prime minister basically. I mean, not straight out resign, but say, but calling call his party to replace him in a leadership election." And then after all that, they didn't even side with them, and they <laughs> sided with the Tories, and then formed a government with the Tories, and then the Lib Dems lost their leader and had to have a leadership contest. But I'm saying in this context, where things are a little sw- swapped around because yeah. the Liberals are still in power, there there's a chance that the Greens are calculating that, that they're thinking, we would like to work with the Liberals because 
of the way that the NDP has been treating us. And, and it's just, we could never work with the NDP after what happened in this last election. And the liberals are going to be the first to give them a chance to form government anyways. It'll be, it'll be a simpler process if we negotiate Mm -hmm. with government. Um, if they're willing to budge on electoral form, it might, it's, that still might not be enough for the greens. They might, they might actually say, we can't prop up, a a premier who we believe lost the election because the premier did lose seats uh they might be talking about a leadership forcing her uh forcing the liberals oh. to have so we might wow there this is just one of those crazy yeah. hypotheticals but we might have I a situation was... where everyone is expecting there to be this ndp green coalition forming and then suddenly you find out that okay we're gonna have a liberal minority government propped up by the greens and premier todd stone or premier andrew wilkinson or you know there there are several people in the liberal party that are you know looking at Hmm. leadership probably if if premier christy clark decides to step aside and that's totally her decision right she it'll come down to whether or not if the greens are asking for that is she gonna go ahead and try to do a minority situation anyways or would she step aside uh, because the Greens are making that their their final bargaining push. Because it's not it's not always about policy. Sometimes it's personal, and wow. that's and and it's and it is, there is a precedent for it. Yeah. I have no idea if that's what's going on right now, but let's just say that it's it's happened before, and and it could happen again. Yeah, holy cow! There's so it's it is, it's gonna be so interesting, and we still have to wait another week to figure out what's gonna happen. <laughs> um, so one, one thing, just I'm going to jump back for two things and then we'll just kind of end it here. We've got quite a while. Um, so what happens going back to the ministers that didn't, that weren't reelected as MLAs mm-hmm. and we're currently in a hung government. So those positions haven't been filled again. So who takes care of those things right now if something happens like the Kelowna thing? Right. Um, right now that's, that's staff that are handling that. So political staffers, uh, like myself, as well as the civil servants, uh, every, every ministry has a, has a deputy minister and that's okay. not, that's not a politician. So that deputy minister is like the one in charge until there's. Yeah. Okay. The, and so they're, they're a there. civil servant. They're a bureaucrat. Okay. So the deputy minister is not an elected politician. There's somebody from the civil service that's been working as a, a nonpartisan government official for years and years. They've okay. worked their way up to the top, and now they're essentially in charge of the ministry. Okay, so they're there. Okay. Um, another thing with the voting. Well, two things with the voting. It seems like with all this press and stuff that Elections BC has done throughout this campaign, or maybe just a little bit before it too, to try and get people to vote, and interested in voting and everything. Wouldn't it be good if they kind of had some sort of campaign that campaign that went over all the four years while there is a government power so that people take like can slowly learn about it? Like, hey, we're three years now. So you have three years to kind of follow what's going on. And and then there's gonna be election two years now There's two years. Do you know what's going on? There's gonna be election in two years. One year, let's wrap it up instead of like, hey, you got four weeks, right? Um, Hope you know what's going on. <laughs> well, the, the elections we see pushes is is really only there to say vote. It's very important. They're they're not. It, it would be overstepping their mandate to tell people to look up 
certain issues or something like that. Because that would be that would be interpreted by one side or the other as as partisan. Right. Like if if say election BC was talking about the importance of you know you should follow the way that you know government controls its finances then you would probably get the NDP criticizing the BC Liberals for running an elections BC ad that was focusing on, you know, the importance okay, of balancing so. a budget. Or if they were saying, well, you know, make sure you take a look at this issue, then you might have the other side of the aisle going, well, you know, that's inherently political because that's going to make people look at this one issue yeah. and that's not favorable for government or not favorable for, for opposition. Yeah. I didn't really mean like, like looking at certain things, but just kind of like, hey, stay relevant right. you know like or be relevant or that's what become good relevant. people like you are doing though well i suppose yeah <laughs> but i guess if even if they did that and whatever their message was was completely nonpartisan, wasn't on either side of anything there'd be something going on in government that the other party would say you did that because this is happening probably so there's it's, it's <laughs> that's my inner cynic but probably yeah there'd yeah, be, there'd be something like, someone would latch on to and and criticize like that that happens all the time like the government the government took uh bc liberal government took a lot of flack for running um a lot of ads over the past three right. years yeah. uh the ndp would often criticize them for for spending you know government money on on ads that prop up the bc liberal party because we are government so so any ad that talks about the successes of government is essentially i mean you can boil it down to that ad is talking about the successes of bc liberals even though we're only talking about the successes of our government there's no mention of the party name right yeah it would be it they the ndp interprets that as if the province is doing well and you want to tell people how well the province is doing you know having the lowest unemployment having the highest job growth that is to them if you distill it down telling people how great the bc liberals are and, yeah. and their different interpretations of that yeah. uh and also but but then most of the ads that the government ran were were simply letting people know about things like bc jobs plan well yes that is a thing that the party did is all was were running ads so people knew where they could look to find jobs like work like right. bc and places yeah. like that where if you're unemployed we want you to get a job that's not an inherently political thing to want somebody to have a job, right? Or running uh, awareness campaigns on uh, the fentanyl crisis and how to use uh, naloxone and, and things like that, that that are harder to see as political. It it, it all depends on where you fall. <laughs> yeah, you can always twist something. Yeah. Um, so my one other last question about the voting. Um, I was thinking, because I knew about all these these polls that were the advanced polls and everything. And I even thought of the mail in. I'm like, well, that seems easy. <laughs> but then I didn't do any of it because I was like, I just want to wait till election day because they're still it's campaigning. More exciting. It's well, more exciting to vote on election day too. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. But, but I was more like, I might hear something that changes my opinion like a day before or. Yep. So do you think that, like, what do you think about that? Like it, it giving them a chance to, vote before you guys have had a chance to really say your piece. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely an important thing to bring up and, and honestly something I hadn't put a lot of my own thought into. But yeah, advanced polls do mean that you're you are voting, especially the mail in ballots, well well ahead of the end of the election campaign, which means some parties are only given a week to convince you to vote for them. Yeah. Right? If you're voting that early or something like that with your mail in ballot. Um that can totally change. I think that that's the thing about election campaigns. 
they happen over a period of time and there's things come out and there's a lot of strategy that go into, well, we're not going to, you know, talk to people in that neighborhood until, you know, this point because we're focusing on this neighborhood first. And, and yeah, there you, we certainly see that near the end of an election where we're knocking on doors and people say that, uh, oh no, like I, I already voted or I, I did, I sent in a ballot already, yeah. but I really appreciate you coming. And you have to wonder whether or not they voted for you or, or if, if they hadn't have voted and you were able to have a good conversation with them on the doorstep, maybe they would have ended up voting for you and you yeah. didn't, you didn't get that vote. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it, for it sure. Like last, last, to me. It's like in the 2013 election, um, all the polls had the NDP in the lead, right? They, it was looking like an NDP sweep. And then we had the famous, uh, kinder surprise incident where Adrian Dix, who had, uh, had one position on the Kinder Morgan pipeline on Earth Day, suddenly came out and said that he was uh, he was against the uh, the building of the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And, and who was this guy? He was the leader of the NDP before okay. John Horgan okay. in the 2013 election. All right. And so suddenly, a lot of people that were you know a lot of especially union folks that were saying you know we're we're in favor of the pipeline because it's going to be jobs and construction in that area suddenly went well this guy just. Not not only was it just that issue, but the fact that he flip flopped on an opinion halfway, like not even mm. halfway late, like late in the election campaign, suddenly changed his opinion. That brought a trust issue. Yeah, that hurt. That really hurt the NDP, and that that brought them down in in a lot of in a lot of political commentator commentators' minds. That was the issue that that meant the NDP didn't form government in the last election when they had a, a real genuine shot at it, and all the polls showed them in the lead. And then that last, the last, you know, at the very so, end of the election, if someone had made, perhaps had one opinion on that and they voted in advance with a mail-in ballot or something like that, and then that happened, you you might seriously be regretting your vote. <laughs> right, yeah. So in that situation, like the, the polls, are you saying the polls of the of the um, advanced voting? I, I meant like that, sort or? of like media run, media, okay. right? like w- okay. which way we think the horse race. Right. The, yeah. yeah, but that would definitely change it. Yeah, I, like things happen oh, throughout the course of an election campaign, and if you're voting that well in advance, then you you might end up regretting your vote. I mean, we saw what happened just this election, where uh, the NDP had a had a stance where, where the Liberals came out and said we're going to bring in Uber and and any ride sharing that's mm-hmm. going to be a, if we form government again uh, by by the end of this year by Christmas uh, we'll have we'll have ride sharing. You'll okay. be able to catch an Uber or a Lyft or any of those ride-sharing services. Um, and the NDP went, thought, saw an opportunity, didn't take a hard stance and said, like, look, we've, and John Horgan said, if you want Uber, I'm not, I'm not your guy, and courted the taxi unions, which were big. And that's uh, why Peter Fassbender, who was a minister, a liberal minister, lost his seat in this election okay. because there's a lot of people that work in the taxi industry in his riding. Oh, okay. and so so that that took us down, and and the NDP worked really hard to get taxi like people that work for taxi companies and taxi drivers out to vote in those Vancouver ridings where there were a lot of taxi drivers to advance polls. They got them out early and had them voted, and then the day that advance polls closed, what did John Horgan do? He flip flopped and said that he would bring an Uber. So he was just playing both sides. Yeah. And they, it Dang. didn't matter because they already got their advance votes in, right? They they <laughs> pushed hard to get these people that saw them as the only oppor- opportunity to stop Uber would be electing an NDP government. And they got them to the advance polls. And then cynically, as soon as those advance polls were closed, 
Horgan had a press conference and and changed his mind all of a sudden and said, "Look, we're uh, we're we're gonna, we will we will support bringing ride sharing into British Columbia." Man, I got to get an NDP person in here because <laughs> I tell you, I'm starting to get a little jaded <laughs> or or have more questions i just i guess i should even it out you know see what they say about these things um oh you well, just bring jeremy love day back <laughs> um great well that's that's huge that's been a great help here uh we're gonna see what happens hopefully hopefully i'll get this out before the 22nd or 24th 24th is 24th when, is when votes are finalized but the process begins between the 22nd and the 24th yeah. okay yeah yeah, hopefully I'll get this out and then people can kind of get prepared for what may happen. It's pretty exciting. Uh, well, thanks. Will be. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And hopefully we'll see you again. Sounds good. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to this episode with Andrew Reeve. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new and useful once again. I'm finding this whole election process and all the possible forms of government very intriguing. And I'm really excited to see how things turn out for this current election here in BC over the next few days. I'm sure it will give us all uh, plenty to think about and plenty to talk about. So please drop by the website www.governthis.ca and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash govern this. And let me know what you think. Also, I'd love to hear some questions uh, and or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes as well. Keep an eye out for the coming donations link. Any support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, feel free to give us a shout on Twitter at WeGovernThis or shoot us an email at we at governthis.ca. So if you like what you've heard and you think it's important, please share this with as many people as you can. Hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay curious.